Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome to Foothills Christian Church. I'm Douglas Peak. I'll be uh, starting this brand new series called Jesus Loves Me. We're going to talk about the essentials of the faith. I want to invite you to be a part of our family. If you are here for the first time or you're watching for the first time online and you'd like to get to know more about who we are anonymously, all you have to do is text FHNEW to 72000. And what happens is you'll be able to get to know who we are as a community of faith. Also, if you are new to the area, the best way for it to feel like home is to connect to a group. It's all about friends. So don't forget our group link on September 26th. It's uh, right after the 9 a.m. service. It's a great little opportunity to meet people and maybe find a group just for you. The other thing that our church has done for 20 years is on this weekend, whether it be uh, early on we did fireworks and big steak feeds and we've done different things, but one thing we always did is on this weekend is take a moment and remember what happened on September 11th, 2000. And one, cons- commonly known as 9-11, where uh, America suffered one of the largest attacks on its own soil in its history since Pearl Harbor. So what we want to do is we just want to take a moment and remember that. And the reason why is because we believe that police officers, people who serve in the military, people who are paramedics, who are firemen, who are EMTs, frontline workers uh, in tragedies, we believe that what they're doing is a noble thing. And our society is losing the sense of nobility. And nobility requires two things. Number one, a sense of calling, that you want to do something uh, outside of yourself to serve the common good. So people who do these things are serving their fellow man. The other reason why it's noble is because it requires sacrifice. And on 9-11, what happened is a lot of first responders, people in the Port Authority, firemen, police officers, were killed when they were going in to try to rescue those who were trapped in the Twin towers. One of the things our church did, a lot of people who uh, have come in the last 10 years or so might not know this, but our church mobilized and we started a church two blocks from ground zero 20 years ago. And that church started, it took off, and then it merged with another church and it is still functioning today. So we kind of help, our church has some spiritual roots there, you might say. So we're just going to take a moment, whether you're at home or you're here, we're just going to take about 10 seconds and just kind of remember uh, in silence and then thank God for our first responders and what they do uh, for their nobility. And then I'll say a brief prayer and then we're going to jump into our new series. Okay, let's begin. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice of people who still choose to do noble things. May we never lose that virtue. Amen. You know, one of the things that we learned on September 11th uh, in a very significant, you know, hit you over the two by four, with, hit your head with a two by four kind of a way, is that ideas matter. 
Ideas really matter. It doesn't matter where they're born. It doesn't matter uh, what part of the world they come from. The idea, though, can come into fruition in ways we never imagined. One of the things that I think is really important to also understand is that the founding of our country was based on ideas. Oftentimes people don't even know what the ideas are. Uh, as our church is not a church that is to tell you who to vote for. We, are help, we want to help you understand the best way to be a good citizen and vote. We don't want to tell you what to believe because what I want you to do is learn how to know what you believe and why you believe it and how you can clarify your beliefs and strengthen your own beliefs and evaluate your own beliefs. Because in the end, what you believe is one of the most important things about you. Our goal isn't to tell you what to dress or what music to listen to or even what kind of food you need to eat. We're not pro-tattoo or anti-tattoo. We don't have a position on beer, other than I think IPAs are overrated, but that's really not an opinion, I guess. <laughs> um, just, just, you know, our church is here to help you connect to Jesus so that you know what you believe, why you believe it. Because I can tell you this, when the stuff hits the fan, when life gets hard and you have challenges, it doesn't matter what I told you you ought to believe. You know what matters? What you believe. Because that's when it counts, because it's your faith. And, and so that's how, how we kind of operated. And uh, one of the things that we've got coming up, um, uh, we partnered with a group that just kind of goes around and all they do is uh, teach courses on the Constitution. They just say, okay, here's the Constitution. This is what it says, and this is why they put it in there. And so if you'd like to take advantage of that, you can sign up for it. It starts uh, tomorrow night at 630, uh, and it takes about six weeks to go through, you know, for about an hour and a half, six Mondays in a row. And that, because we're doing that, that got me thinking, you know, in this way about what is it about uh, I mean, if there was a constitution for Christianity, what would it be? And could we know what it is? And what are the most important ideas or what are the essentials of Christianity? Now, a number of years ago, there was a famous theologian who had written, you know, 60, 70 books and does conferences in his older age. He had finished a conference and uh, was doing a Q&A and someone stood up and said, you know, you've written all these books and you've done all these teachings and you've done all this stuff all the time. If you had to boil it down for a 10-year-old, what would you say? And he was silent for a long time. He was silent for so long, the questioner thought he forgot and was about to ask the question again. And then the theologian responds this way. He says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The most famous and simplest song that children learn in preschool about the faith, he says, encapsulates the Constitution, or the essentials of what it means to know and follow Jesus. So what we're going to do through this entire series, this is what I do on an introduction, is I build a construct, right? A context in which what we're going to look into makes sense. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the essentials of the faith, that if you pull one of them out, the whole thing falls apart. And the way to remember it is the simple children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
Now, before, though, we get into what those essentials are, I think we need to understand why it's important to have essentials or absolutes and why sometimes we as human beings struggle with that. And having essentials or having these things are really important to know them and to get them because it impacts our relationship with God more than we ever know. So if you've been walking with Jesus a long time, this series is going to help you just solidify those things so that you can share it, encapsulate it really quickly with anybody else. If you're kind of halfway along the path, you can say, I finally remember. It's easy to remember what these are. If you're a skeptic, if you're kind of wondering, you know, I'm just checking this God stuff out, you know, maybe church is good for me. I'm not sure yet. You know, I think Christianity might have merit. I'm not sure yet. I know some of the people that say they follow him and they're a little, um, which I get that. People said that I'm a little now and then. Uh, but you'll know it, that what the basic essentials are so that you can make an informed decision about the purity and essence of what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. So that's why we're doing this. All, so everybody across the gamut can benefit from it. So let's do this. Let's jump in right off the bat to John chapter 15. It's called the Gospel According to John. It's in the New Testament. It's one of the four biographies on the life of Jesus written by the apostle John, <laughs> hence the name. And in chapter 15, he takes a chunk of, uh, he has about two chapters of this stuff that Jesus taught. And we're going to take about 11 or 12 verses, a big chunk of it, and listen to what Jesus has to say about why it's so important to know the essentials. Let me read it to you. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's cool. It'll be up on the screen as I read. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you, for no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, because this will show yourselves to others to be my disciples." Verse 9, now as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be complete. So let's break this down a little bit. I want to point out a few key things that he's saying in here. The first thing he's saying is in verse 3, he says, you are already clean due to the words that I have spoken to you. So he is writing to people who are already following him. All right? The second thing in verse 4, he's saying, I want you to understand a principle. Apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. All right? So you have to remain in me and I in you. Hmm, wonder what that means. We'll dig into that in a moment. He says, the goal to his father's glory is to bear fruit. And you read early on that his father prunes branches that don't bear fruit. Okay, well, what is the fruit he's talking about? Well, down in verse 10, he says, remain in my love as my love remains in you. I remain in the love of the father. So the fruit that he's talking about is love. And then in verse 11, he says, I do this so that my joy will be in you, so that your joy will be complete. So the fruit that he's talking about is the fruit of love and the fruit of joy. And then you go back to verse 5, and he says, you know what the linchpin, the key principle in all of this is? Remaining in me. Remaining in him is the key. So basically what he's saying is he's saying that if you are in me and I am in you, your life will bear the fruit of love and joy. But why then does it seem that so many people never experience that? Now, one of the options that's on the upside of being in a place for so long is that I see people come and go. I've been over here in this particular church for over 25 years. And over that time, people come, woohoo, and then people go. That's kind of sad. Now, they'll go for different reasons. Sometimes people go because they move, they go to a different place, but sometimes people just kind of throw in the towel and give up. I knew a guy like that. And then I ran into him probably five or six years later. And as I uh, was talking to him, hey, how's it going? He was like, well, you know, not so good. This happened, da, da, da. And he was telling me about all of his issues and all of his problems. But then what happened is he said, you know, um, I always liked uh, going to church, but I need to be honest. And that is Christianity didn't work for me. And so when he said that, I came up with the best comeback that you could ever imagine 10 days later. <laughs> you know, man, if you want witty on the spot, you got to talk to my wife. If you want a great response, mine's 10 days later, you know. It's like, oh, uh, because I'm breaking it down in my head and I'm thinking about it from all these different angles. And because and, what I'm thinking is this, and I'm thinking, okay, I mean, is there a God or is there not a God? And I'm thinking, okay, there, there's a God. And so here's the God who created the universe. He's like a, like a gigantic bonfire in the center of the universe, you know, and you're telling me that you walked up next to this bonfire and you felt zero heat from it? How does that work? It doesn't make sense to me. 
Because I got, I got a, you know, I came to a point in my life back in 1978 where someone told me about a bonfire and I strolled next to it and it fried me. And that has forever changed my life. And so I'm like, how, why isn't that working? So I just thought about this and I got into this and I read these verses from, from Jesus. He's talking to people who are following me. He says, you need to remain in me and I in you because you're supposed to bear fruit. And he goes, the key is the fruit is joy and love. So, so you're saying that you tried Jesus and you had no joy, no love, no fruit, no transformation in your life ever again. And in essence, he was saying, yeah, so I quit. Tried something else. And I thought and thought about that. And it dawned on me that he knew about Jesus, but he, he didn't know what it meant to remain in Jesus. And that was the key. Let me show you what I mean. If you're new here, I'm kind of known for this crazy stuff, so, by the way. Okay. Every illustration has a certain flaw in it because you're dealing with abstract, infinite things like God, right? So, I call this my God box. No, I am not putting God in a box, okay? But what I am doing is I'm using it to illustrate something, that this is our reality. Our reality is not infinite. It's limited by space and time, the size of the universe and so forth. And so uh, God created it. In Colossians, it says that he created all things. In him, th in him, all things are created, and he holds all things together. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I've got some water in this reality, and this re water is our reality. Like, we're fish, you know, so this is space and time for you and I. We're in this reality, and God has to be flowing through it. Is God contained by the reality? No, because he created it. But he's in it, and he holds it together, right? So I thought, how could I illustrate that? So I said, well, let's wire it up and run some electricity through it. So this is... Uh, Toaster in the bathtub kind of stuff before GFI. So, um, yeah, it's dangerous. So, but anyway, so I thought, okay, so we're going to turn this thing on and we're going to start running some power through it there. And so now this is electrically charged, all right? And then you are an independent, sovereign individual, right? We're independent. We have free choice, right? So even though this reality has the very power of the living God flowing through it. If I am not aligned with God, watch what happens. Absolutely what? Nothing. But if I start to align myself with God, watch what happens. Without touching anything. Isn't that kind of cool? <laughs> don't put your finger in there. <laughs> You'll meet Jesus a lot quicker face-to-face -face than you imagined. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny right there. But, what? but look, kids, look at this. If you, if you are not in alignment with God, nothing happens. But if you twist slowly towards God, look what happens. Now, what happens if you get a little bit out of alignment with God? Oh, you're all right. Okay, because you're kind of in the right direction. But what happens if you get totally out of alignment. Even though the very power of God is flying around, all around you, in the reality in which you exist, you are a dead bulb. 
Do you know how many people walk with Christ or think they walk with Christ like that every single day? When I know the essentials, that's what happens to my life. When I don't know them, that's what happens to my life. You see, the issue of essentials is all about the very basics. They don't make me perfect. They don't make me believe everything perfectly or do things perfect. But what they do is they align me to be in line with the power of God where the very living Holy Spirit is moving through me and lights up and empowers my life. Let's turn that off now so that we don't have any undue X problems. I want you to understand this principle. You like that? Was that fun? Good. I just really want you to understand this because the essentials, these basics that come from this children's song, teach us that when we properly align ourselves with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that's when our lives light up. So essentials, that's the first thing I want you to understand, properly align you. These are the things that are getting you in alignment with the power of God. And the goal of being in alignment with God is love and joy in your life. Now, we struggle because we think in a way that causes us to not want to do... We're always swinging back crossways. Why? Well, here's why. Over the last 50 years in American society, from the day you were born, you have taught to be a skeptic. You see, back in the 60s, we became philosophically postmodern. That has now become the predominant philosophy for our educational curriculums. It's in all of our journalism schools. It's in all of our mass media. It's in all of our movies that we watch, the books that we read. It's across the, the songs that we listen to on the radio. And what it does is it kind of makes us skeptical of anybody who stands up and says, I know everything or I want to make an absolute truth claim. And what we're really good is, is we're good at what we call deconstructionism. And that is, you can point out the flaws or the imperfection in any thought or any idea or any principle when someone stands up and says, I want to tell you what the truth is. Now, because postmodern and, and deconstructionism doesn't tell you what to think, it doesn't tell you these are all of our absolutes, because they don't believe in any of them, that you have to think. What it is, is it's a way of thinking about everything around you. And so you become skeptical. You become skeptical of everything. So when someone stands up who does what I do and say, look, if you want to align yourself with the power of God, these are the absolute not, uh, essentials of the faith. Absolute essentials of the faith. You take them away, you don't have faith. People are like, well, are you sure? Or that doesn't sound very loving. Or are you sure you're being accepting? Isn't Jesus all about love and acceptance? And so we're skeptical of that as people, right? And our skepticism has one flaw. We're never skeptical of our own skepticism. Just think about that. We are never skeptical of our own skepticism. 
The moment we are not skeptical of our deconstructionist skepticism is the moment subconsciously what we're saying is that I don't believe anybody else. I don't believe that anybody else can be right except for myself. See, I'm perfect and my judgment is perfect and my knowledge is perfect. Of course, all you got to do is ask your spouse and they will definitely say, yeah, I have a different opinion on that. But do you see, that's the problem with deconstructionism. That's a problem with this philosophy of skepticism is you're never skeptical of yourself. And because of that, it makes it really difficult to align yourself in order to see the very power of God move through your life. This is why my friend said, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. You see, what happened is he never experienced the power of the living God moving through him because he never believed in the essentials. The second thing that happens is that the essentials are not about being right. It's not about, oh, I, I, I have the right knowledge of the faith and I've unraveled it and it's here for you. That's not it at all. The essentials are being rightly connected to Jesus. That's what they do, is they rightly connect me to Jesus. And that's what my passion is, is that you experience the power of the living God moving through your life. And being rightly connected to Jesus is essential. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death for your soul. You see, you have to ask yourself, do you have a soul? And if so, is it dead or alive? Which begs the question, if I have a soul and it's dead, how would I know that? Well, have you ever been to a funeral? You go to a funeral and funerals are sad. Have you ever been to a funeral of someone you were really close to and you lost that person? And you go there and you're like, I'm not looking forward to this, but you go and you feel grief and you feel loss and you feel pain. In that moment, do you say to yourself, well, all this pain and all this grief is irrelevant because in the end, nothing means anything because this is the end. You're worm food now and it's all done. C'est la vie. Or in that moment, does all that pain and that sorrow and loss and grief mean something to you because you have a soul? And you know they had a soul. And where they are next has eternal significance. Being rightly connected to Jesus is a matter of life and death, not just for your soul, it's for your relationships. Over the last 30 years in the full-time ministry, I've seen a lot of people get married. And I have to tell you that on average, probably 99% of the people who stand before me when they get married, it's one of the happiest days of their life, right? They're super happy, you know? They're just so happy, you know? She's so happy. She's like, my dress fits, my makeup's perfect, everything's so cool, you know? I lost the weight I wanted. I'm just, oh, this is my day. I'm a princess. She comes out, she's shaking, and she's so happy, you know? And he's sitting there with his buddies. He's got his tux on, you know? And they're all like, man, you never look so good. And they're all standing around, you know, doing this. Look, 
trying to get pictures, you know. They want to be on social media. They got all these pictures. They're practicing their dance moves for the party later. They're all happy. They're slapping them on the back. And they come in, you know. She walks down the aisle, and he's nervous wreck. And I'm like, just breathe, bro. Just breathe, please. Tell a joke. Breathe, you know. You know don't, nobody's ever fainted on my watch. We're not about to start now. And so they're just having a happy, happy time. You know, it's just great. They're, they're, oh, we're going to go do this. We're all gonna, I'm, I'm happy for them. And then five years later, it's like, why in God's name did I marry this person? Why did I do that? You were driving me nuts, you know? There's a big research study out that talked about the difference between couples that make it and couples that don't. And it was really fascinating because what they found out is that the couples who make it and stay in love become soulmates and the couples who don't have the exact same amount of conflicts in their relationship. Isn't that interesting? So the, I want to find somebody I never fight with is a unicorn dream. It doesn't exist, right? You have the same, everybody has the same amount of conflict in their marriage, pretty much. You know what the difference is? They found it's how you resolve your conflicts. Some people can't resolve them. Some people resolve them in a way that just drives wedges between them, builds resentment and bitterness, destroys intimacy. Other people resolve conflicts in a way that pulls them together as a partnership and strengthens their love for each other. I have no idea how you can come together and resolve your conflicts in a loving way without the power of Jesus in your life. I just don't know any way possible to do that. Because what you're doing is you're relying on two independent people, right, who don't believe in God or a higher power. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in transformation, trying to figure out how they're going to resolve their conflicts when they're the two who created it in the first place. That's called circular reasoning. It doesn't make any sense. That's why knowing what the essentials are so that you're properly aligned with Jesus is life and death for your marriage. I really believe that because what it does is it transforms how you resolve your conflicts. It transforms how you stay together without the oil in a relationship of love and forgiveness and healing and wholeness. I don't know how you're going to stay in love. I don't know how you're going to survive the teenage years of your kids. Because when your kids become teenagers, oh my goodness, they will stress your marriage like you never imagined. You know, being rightly connected to Jesus, rightly aligned with him, is life and death for your children and your grandchildren. Right now, today, it does, I can quote the stats for you, but right now, today, 95% of everything your kids consume outside of their relationship with you is designed to turn them into what uh, philosophers call the expressive self. The expressive self is built on a secular humanist postmodern construct. And that's why kids are struggling the way they are today. The expressive self, in a nutshell, basically means you are the center of the universe. How do you counter all that? How do you raise your kids to be courageous, confident, strong, secure, great adults? 
I don't know how you're going to do it without the power of God moving through your life, without the power of God moving in the presence of your children and your grandchildren. In the world in which we live, I'm not bothered by all of the, the directions that our society is going because in the end, I kind of look at it this way. When push comes to shove, I want the guy who rose from the dead. I want to be on his team. I think he's got what it takes to win the battle. So your children and your grandchildren need you to be rightly aligned so that the power of God is moving through your life. Your joy and your happiness in this world depend upon it. You know, think about that for a second. Jesus was saying, I want to read this again to you. He goes, look, the Father loved me. Remain in my love that I have for you. Keep my commands. See, these are the essentials. Keep my commands. You will remain in my love. And then he says, I have told you all of this. I have communicated it. I've lived it. I've exemplified it for the very reason that I want my joy, my joy, the creator of the universe, the guy who invented joy. I want my joy that is complete and whole and overwhelming. I want it to be in you. I want the love of God in you. That is a promise you cannot live without. So we need to know the essentials. We need to remember the essentials because without the power of the living Jesus in our lives, then we're going to be a dim bulb. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.